100% Real with Lisa Cabrera. Each and every year, fentanyl kills more Americans than any other drug. Due to the trade war, China will not help stop these packages from coming into the country. You know, their chances of helping now is really unlikely. The dark web is one of the leading places that these drugs are being purchased. And they go out worldwide from China. So China is literally making a killing off of U.S. deaths. And they have gotten away with this for a long time. So don't look for any changes to occur as far as all the packages flowing in worldwide and China has gotten so smart they don't even send many of these packages directly from China they send them to other countries first and then to the US which makes it even harder to trace and remember it don't take much fentanyl to kill a person so this is 20 years in a making now and there's no end in sight to all of the deaths that are occurring. I have some audio that I want you to listen to from NPR. I'm Terry Gross. Nearly 70,000 Americans died from drug overdoses last year, and a rapidly growing number of deaths are attributed to the powerful synthetic opioid fentanyl. Our guest, journalist Ben Westhoff, says fentanyl is now killing more Americans annually than any other drug in American history. Dealers are adding fentanyl to heroin and other drugs, and users often have no idea they're getting it or how much they may be using. In a new book, Westhoff explores the manufacture, sale, and use of fentanyl and other synthetic drugs. He says they're often made in China and easily purchased over the Internet. The Pablo Escobars of today are coming out of China, he writes, and they often operate free and in the clear within the boundaries of their country's own laws. In researching the book, Westhoff interviewed dealers operating on the dark web and visited companies in China making fentanyl and its chemical components. Ben Westhoff has written about culture, drugs, and corruption in the Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone, and other publications. He spoke to Fresh Air's Dave Davies about his new book, Fentanyl Inc., how rogue chemists are creating the deadliest wave of the opioid epidemic. Well, Ben Westhoff, welcome to Fresh Air. Let's start with a basic. What is fentanyl exactly? Fentanyl was originally formulated as a medical drug, something that was used in stuff like open heart surgery and an end of life care. It's a opioid that is 50 times stronger than heroin, 100 times stronger than morphine. But 
how we hear about it most now is as an illicit narcotic that is sold and used illegally. Yeah, I mean, you, you make a point early in the book that there's a distinction between opiates, that's O-P-I-A-T-E-S, which are derived from the poppy plant, and opioids, which, what, I guess hit the same receptors in the brain as opiates? Yes, the difference is that they're manufactured in labs, so they're completely synthetic, and nowadays almost all of the illicit fentanyl is made in China. This was invented by a guy named Paul Jansen. When? That's correct. In 1959, he was monkeying around with the chemical structure of morphine, and he came upon fentanyl, and it had some advantages. It acted faster, it was stronger, and so it quickly became an important medical drug. Right, and, and when we say he was monkeying around with them, he was a legitimate chemist, right, working for a pharmaceutical company, his own company, right? That's right. He started his own company, and then not too long afterwards, it was sold to Johnson & Johnson. And Johnson & Johnson today makes the fentanyl patch from the, the drug that Paul Jansen invented. And what is it used for? What are the legitimate uses of it? It is also a medical drug, and people who have cancer, people who have serious pain, it's, it's used for pain management. Right, so it relieves pain. How did it get to be a drug of choice for opioid users? This was really a long time coming, and it's something that nobody really saw coming, including the DEA. As recently as 2015, they didn't think fentanyl would be a problem. But basically, it's so cheap to produce, and it's so powerful that drug dealers began realizing it was a way to increase their profits. And so they started cutting it into heroin. And nowadays, it's almost impossible to find pure heroin on the street. And fentanyl is also being cut into cocaine, prescription pills. And that's how Prince died. And um, it's a terrible scourge. Right. And do people know what know they're getting fentanyl or how much? Most people do not want fentanyl. They don't realize that it's in their heroin or it's in these fake prescription pills. And oftentimes, even if they do know there's fentanyl, they don't know how much. And since only two milligrams of fentanyl is enough to kill you, just the slightest miscalculation can make people overdose and die. And fentanyl in places like St. Louis, where I'm from, is actually starting to catch on as a drug unto itself. It is so much stronger that long-time addicted users who don't even get high on heroin anymore, it just sort of maintains them and stops them from getting sick. Now with fentanyl, they can actually feel that feeling again of being high. Hmm. Um, what's the appeal to dealers and manufacturers of this? The appeal is that it's so much cheaper to make and it's so much po more powerful so while the cartels in Mexico have these fields of opium poppies, it's very exposed to law enforcement. It takes a long time to grow, and it, it costs more to make, whereas fentanyl in a Chinese lab can be made quickly. Uh, it's very hard for law enforcement to crack down on it as well. Right, and a lot lighter and simpler to ship, I suppose. Exactly. And so it's generally either shipped through the mail from China directly to U.S. dealers or consumers or else the, the, the fentanyl ingredients or the fentanyl itself is shipped to the Mexican cartels 
who then send it north through the border into the U.S. So give us a sense of the scale of the problem. How many people are overdosing because of fentanyl? When it comes to the opioid epidemic, there are signs that it's maybe kind of leveling off and deaths from prescription pills and heroin are actually down in recent years. But fentanyl deaths keep climbing and it's up around 30,000 a year for estimated statistics for 2018. Wow. And that's because people, the fentanyl is in so many other products and it's sort of replacing heroin because of its convenience and, and potency. Exactly. And it's getting to be that fentanyl can be in almost any drug. We're even seeing cases where ecstasy pills taken by ravers now sometimes have fentanyl. So it's getting to be that almost all drugs are unsafe. You said that the fentanyl scourge represents the third wave of the opioid epidemic. What are the other two? The opioid epidemic began with prescription narcotics like OxyContin, and doctors started prescribing those at a really high rate in the 90s and the 2000s. And oftentimes when people's prescriptions ran out, they were addicted. And so in order to maintain their addictions, these were law-abiding citizens who turned to buying street heroin. And that was the second wave of the opioid epidemic. And now fentanyl represents the third wave. So fentanyl is a synthetic drug, right? Part of a class of drugs that kind of are known in the business as NPS. That's novel psychoactive substances, right? Um, That's right. Who came up with these drugs? I mean, they're all different molecular formulas, right? Ironically, almost all of these new drugs were made by legitimate scientists for medical and scientific purposes. Uh, In the days before the internet, it was kind of hard to track down their research. You had to go to university libraries and places like that. But in the internet age, all of these papers and their chemical formulas became available to anybody. And so rogue chemists began scouring this scientific literature and appropriating these medical drugs for use as recreational drugs. And they began to be sold over the internet. And whereas there were only, you know, a handful, a few handfuls of drugs a hundred years ago, now there's literally a hundred new drugs or more every year. Yeah, there are 50 listed in an appendix to your book. Um, (laughs) This part of your book has some really interesting characters in it. These chemists who followed up on the leads of academics and began developing various kind of classes of synthetic drugs. Give us a sense of what their motives were. Like one of them was this guy, Alexander Shulgin, went by Sasha, right? What was he up to? What, what, What did he want to do? Yeah, Sasha Shulgin started his career working for Dow Chemical, but he, his real interest was in psychedelics, and he thought they could be used as tools to help with medical science, psychiatry, even religion. And so he began tinkering with these different psychedelic chemical structures, and eventually Dow had enough of him, so he worked on his own piece of land. And all day long, he created these new psychedelics and then sampled them himself to see if anything happened. He started by taking a very tiny dose 
and worked his way up until he felt an effect. Eventually, he created so many new drugs that he released a couple of books that are basically cookbooks for how to synthesize these drugs. And his popularity really exploded. He also popularized MDMA, also known as ecstasy, and became known as the godfather of ecstasy. Right. And did he imagine, you know, hundreds of thousands of young people taking this stuff? Was he, was he cool with that? He was. And that's why he published these books. He wanted everybody to have access. Now, in his defense, psychedelics are much less toxic and much less likely to cause overdoses than the narcotics that we've been talking about. But as you can imagine, the DEA did not take too kindly to this and ended up raiding his facility. Right. And, and nowadays, a lot of those psychedelics are being laced with fentanyl and they can be deadly, right? Well, there's a, a lot of problems with the techniques that he created because that's exactly the same techniques that these rogue chemists all over the, the world are using to develop drugs that are less benign. And the, the, not just fentanyl, but there are dozens and dozens of fentanyl analogs, as they're called, which are made by just barely tweaking the chemical formula of fentanyl to create something new that's now legal. Right, which makes it hard to regulate, right? You make a slight change in the formula and suddenly it's not an illegal drug anymore, right? Exactly. And in China, they've had the biggest problem with this. Whereas in the U.S., they sort of have a blanket ban of everything that's anything like fentanyl. In China, until recently, they had to regulate each drug one by one. And that's been the source of all this friction with President Trump and Chinese, China's President Xi. And it plays in with the trade war, and it's really um, caused a lot of problems. You know, one of the things, the things that's interesting about using fentanyl is that you don't necessarily need a street dealer to get it. A lot of it can be gotten on the dark web. I mean, for those that aren't savvy, explain what the dark web is. The dark web, it, it consists of web pages that use a disguise protocol and so it's impossible to know who's making the pages. And it's very easy to send these disguised messages. So it's impossible to know where they're coming from. And it's impossible to read them unless you have the code to unscramble them. But it's not hard for anybody who's interested to get there and, and look for stuff, right? No, it's not hard to use at all. You can do it from uh, your smartphone. So you explored this world a bit, um, found you know, uh, open marketplaces of drugs, right? And you reached out to a dark web dealer who goes by the name U4IA. Um, you traded some encrypted messages, I think, and then eventually he agreed to meet with you, right? Uh, yeah. Why would was, he do that? <laughs> I was surprised too. I think for him, he was a addicted opioid user himself. And he actually claimed to be doing some good in the world, if you can believe that. He was selling a nasal spray with a type of fentanyl, and it was very cheap. And, you know, despite the fact that he was selling this type of fentanyl over the dark web, his contention was that he was helping addicted users like himself maintain their addiction affordably. 
And do we have any idea about how safe or dangerous this mist is? I can't imagine it's very safe. I mean, I would not certainly never trust something like that to someone I didn't know were I a user because even the slightest miscalculation can have fatal consequences. But I, I was actually able to meet him in person. He was kind of a physically big guy, and I was a little intimidated when I saw him. But he was there with his, his little daughter, and uh, he obviously cared about her. And that's why he said another reason he was doing what he was doing was to support his family. Right. How did he get into this? He, he, he was a user and needed income? He has been a user of a number of drugs over the years, and I believe he was also addicted to meth at one point. And he said he had anxiety issues, and starting to use these exotic opioids relieved his stress. And he, he has kind of a blue-collar job that doesn't pay the bills. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that, right? Now, many black dealers back in the day would say the same thing. They were selling to take care of their families, right? That was unacceptable. They didn't want to hear it. They went to jail. But many of these dealers on the dark web, they don't go to jail like they did back in the day where they would grab the crack dealer and throw them in the jail. You know, a lot of them uh, are out there because it's harder to trace people on the dark web. And they get away with it far more than they ever did, you know, as far as dealing drugs in the past. That's why so many of them are out there, you know, but the reason, oh, you know, I got to support my family. Well, they never accept those kind of reasons from black dealers <laughs> that said similar things. So it's just amazing. But the fentanyl is going strong in the country, ladies and gentlemen, and they're still lowballing the numbers. I saw the other day they're trying to say 130 a day. There's no way 20 years later it's that low. I mean, common sense would tell you that it's a lot higher. It really is. And always remember, they do not report on all 50 states. They just do 22 states report to the CDC. So you're never going to get a true number. This concludes my podcast for today. Please stop by each and every day to hear my podcast. And those of you that are supporters of this podcast, thank you. And if you are not a supporter, please consider becoming one. Peace, family.